Good morning, Cambridge Vineyard. My name is Shana, and uh, I'm your host for this morning. And we are so, so happy to have you join us. You can't see, but there is no one in the chairs right now. So I'm talking specifically to you who are joining us on Facebook, on YouTube, and on Zoom. Because Ontario has gone back into the red zone, we have decided um, as a leadership team and as a church that we are going to go back to meeting completely online. But don't be afraid because we still have all of these different streaming ways um, for you to interact. If you are interested in participating in our Zoom option, you can email groups at cvcf.ca for the link. Okay. I just want to open up this morning with a scripture from Matthew 6. We're going to start in verse 5. It says, Whenever you pray, be sincere and not like the pretenders who love the attention they receive while praying before others in the meetings and on street corners. Believe me, they've already received in their full reward. But whenever you pray, go into your innermost chamber and be alone with the Father God, praying to him in secret. And your Father, who sees all you do, will reward you openly. When you pray, there's no need to repeat empty phrases, praying like those who don't know God, for they expect God to hear them because of their many words. There's no need to imitate them since your father already knows what you need before you ask him. I feel like this week could have been really discouraging for some people because we've gone back into red and it feels like we're moving backwards. It's sad not being able to meet together physically on a Sunday morning or to be able to hug our loved ones in our social circles. But this came to mind as I was praying about the service this week, and I felt like God just wanted to remind us that the holiest of moments can happen when we are not together. The holiest of moments can happen when we intentionally close our doors and take a minute with just ourselves and just the Lord to dedicate a moment to him, to dedicate um, a morning or a particular amount of time to him. So I feel like he just wants to remind us that even though we're not together, even though we may feel alone, we may be alone, that we actually could be in an environment for a holy, holy moment to take place. In that, we are in our first week of Advent a holy, holy time, a holy, holy moment. And we are going to take a minute to watch a video recording of our first reading from the Baskerville family. At the time of the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everybody... Everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. He will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all those things taking place, you know that His return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my world will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Since you don't know when the time will come, be on guard. Stay alert, 
And the coming of the Son of Man will be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves directions about the work that they will have to do. He told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return. In the evening at midnight before the dawn or at daybreak, don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. Say, I say to you what I say to everyone. Watch for him. Awesome. So God, we accept that invitation to watch for you this morning. God, and I pray that each person who's tuned in with us this morning or who will be watching or listening to the podcast later, I pray that we would take these moments, take this time to be intentional about setting our gaze and our eyes on you. We invite you into our hearts, into our minds and our spirits this morning. I pray that you would speak to us in whatever way you see fit. And I want to pray for our speaker this morning, God, that she would be your mouth that speaks, that she would have the ears to hear what you're saying, what you're doing, and where you're going. I pray that all who are listening would be like good soil, that our hearts would just absorb everything that she has to say, everything that's from you. I pray that there's, if there is anything that's not from you, that it would fall away, um, and that this next 20 minutes, half an hour, would really be used um, to build up our character and build up who we are in you. Amen. All right. Thank you, Shana. I promise I did not plant her as my hype girl. <laughs> this was just coincidental. <laughs> um, uh, my name's Morella, and um, I am really distracted by the screens in front of me, so I'm going to say right now, sorry, if this looks... <laughs> Hi, Ellen. Hi, Bruce. Hi, Laura. Um, if, this is, if this is awkward this morning, it's because we're trying something new, and I can see myself kind of lagging a few seconds behind. So this is going to be really, really fun today. Um, but uh, my name is Rella. I'm part of the teaching team here at the Cambridge Vineyard, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. How, however you're joining us, or if you're joining us at a later date... Um, we are really grateful that you're honoring us with your time and really grateful that you can be flexible with all the changes and things that are happening. And, um, well, every week it's something different, isn't it? So thank you for, for being here this morning. Uh, this is the first week of Advent, and Advent is the season uh, where we um, move towards the celebration of Jesus' birth, a time that we remember his birth and anticipate his coming. And so I thought we'd start Advent off with a bang. We would start it with a scandal. That's right, the scandal of Mary and Joseph. We know Mary and Joseph as the parents of Jesus. And they're given a little bit of real estate in the Gospels. Mary gets a little bit of real estate in... Um, Luke 1, Joseph gets a little less in Matthew, and um, we're kind of told the story, you know, that this happens, that they become the parents of Jesus, and it's all kind of, we can easily kind of skip over that without actually thinking about what was it really like to be Mary and Joseph. 
Um, so today we're going to use some information and some imagination, and we are going to flesh out some of their story to get a little bit of a glimpse of what it must have been like for them, and also to see what we can learn about what we can apply to our own lives. So we're going to start by reading Mary's story in Luke 1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who is said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. We've probably heard that story every year since the time that we were born. And it's easy to just kind of glance over that story and go, Okay, cool, yeah. The angel came to Mary, said, Hey, you're going to have a baby. She said, Okay, baby was born. There we go. But there's so much more than that. Um, let's read Joseph's story in Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. The society that Mary and Joseph lived in is what's called a collectivist society. And a collectivist society is where the individual needs uh, come secondary to the needs of the whole. So the health, integrity, solidarity of the family or the group is what comes first. And all individual uh, choices, decisions are made based on the health of the group. Now, that's really different than the society that we have here in Canada, which is an individualistic society. So for us, it's more about what's good for me, what's best for me. And so it's quite different. And actually, we in, in the West here, we often pathologize 
that collectivist mindset. So if you have a family that's incredibly close um, and where they consider the whole, we often um, think of that as an enmeshed or an unhealthy family. Uh, But in Mary and Joseph's time, that is just the way things were. It was also a society that was based on honor. And I've talked about this before, where honor was the major currency of the day. In an honor society, women's sexuality was tightly guarded because any sexual indiscretion was a reflection on the man of the house and would bring dishonor. Virginity was prized, and it was essentially paid for by the dowry that the groom and his family gave to the bride's family um, when they started the marriage process. The thing about honor is that it was fluid for men. So if you lost honor, you could regain honor. But for a woman, and particularly if there was a sexual indiscretion, there was no coming back. If you lost honor, that was it. It was a permanent loss of honor. And um, honor was incredibly important because it dictated every part of the life. What you could wear, what you could eat, who you could speak to, where you could speak, what you could say, um, your interaction with others, how you dressed, who you could be friends with, and even where you sat at a feast. So everything was dictated by your honor status in society. So... Let's step back to Mary and Joseph. It says that they were betrothed. And from what I understand, um, back in the day, a Jewish wedding had three parts. So there was the betrothal where the bride and groom would exchange vows, but they wouldn't live together. So they would continue to live with their families, and the groom would go and learn a trade and build a house. And I imagine that the bride was gathering textiles and all the pottery and everything that they would need to run their household. So the second stage was still living with their birth families, but collecting everything that they needed for their household, and the parents would be saving for the wedding feast, which was um, about seven days long. And after the wedding feast, the bride and groom would move in together, and the wedding or the marriage would be consummated. So Mary and Joseph were in this first stage of marriage. So they were betrothed, living apart. They weren't supposed to have any sexual contact. So let's think of what this was like. So the angel comes to Mary, says, hey, you're going to have a baby. Mary says, okay. And then she takes off and actually goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth for three months. And she comes back pregnant. The optics of this are not good. So when Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord, let it be according to your word, in Luke one thirty-eight. here is what she was essentially saying yes to. She was saying yes to a lifelong um, position of dishonor for herself. She was bringing dishonor to her family and her community, dishonor for Joseph and his family, and potentially her death. In Matthew one nineteen. It tells us that Joseph was planning to put Mary away quietly. That means he was planning to divorce her, but not in the public realm. If he had chosen to divorce her in the public realm, then if she had been found guilty of adultery, she would have been stoned to death. So when Mary was saying, yes, I'll do this, she was taking her life into her hands. She was trusting God, and she was trusting in the character of Joseph. Imagine the weight 
of that responsibility on a young girl. She's carrying the honor of her family, Joseph's family. She's carrying her, her life, potentially losing her life, um, with this decision that she's making. Imagine coming back from visiting Elizabeth, walking through the streets, hearing people gossip about you, hearing the whispers, oh, there's Mary, she's pregnant. That's not Joseph's baby. Um, Imagine the dishonor that would have come to her family. And imagine being scorned by your community for bringing them dishonor. Now, when Joseph did what the angel asked him, and that was basically to stay married to Mary, here's what he was essentially saying yes to. He was saying yes to personal dishonor. So this, this was a no-win situation in terms of the honor game for Joseph because essentially he was admitting to being inappropriately sexual with his bride before it was appropriate, or he was a fool because he paid his dowry um, in hopes of a virgin, and here he was getting a pregnant wife with potentially somebody else's baby. Um, He was also saying uh, yes to dishonor for his family. Limited social mobility because shame for one member of the family meant shame for them all. And a couple weeks ago we were in a meeting and Scott shared something that I had never clued into. But when you think of this dishonor, it followed Mary and Joseph and Jesus all throughout their lives. In John 8, 41, Jesus is at the temple, and he's talking, he's preaching, he's talking about being the son of God. And someone pipes up and says, we are not illegitimate children. We have one father, God himself. Oh, there's a little dig. There's a little dig to say, oh, I only have one father. How many fathers do you have, Jesus? Um, So we can see that, that the price of this yes from Mary and Joseph, it was pretty steep, and it followed them throughout their life. Are you starting to get a little feel for the weight of what God had called Mary and Joseph to? It isn't just this lovely little story about Mary and Joseph, and, oh, they have the baby Jesus, and isn't everything wonderful? you might be getting a little bit uncomfortable at this point, maybe thinking, oh, I hope God doesn't call me to something that weighty, because that is a big ask. But the truth is that most of us are not going to be called to something that extraordinary. Most of us are called to things that are quite ordinary, and we are all called to something. So what can we take from the lives of Mary and Joseph? What can we learn about managing God's purpose for our life while we live in this world that doesn't value or even acknowledge God's purpose? Well, the first thing I see is Mary and Joseph's willingness to participate in God's purpose for them. Both of them agreed to do what God asked. It was pretty clear to Mary and Joseph, I I think, Mary had a chat with an angel. Joseph had a dream. That was pretty clear. They knew what their purpose was. But what happens if we don't have a purpose that, that's clear, that is that clear? 
Um, I'm guessing that most of us have not been visited by angels, but who knows? Maybe you have. But maybe someone has spoken a word into your life. Someone has felt like it was a message from God that they shared with you and it resonated. Or maybe you haven't had any of these. You know, maybe, maybe you have a passion in your life that's been with you. Maybe you don't. And so you might be wondering, what do I do? How do I partner with God and participate in his purpose? Well, there was, I read a biography of Mother Teresa once, and I'm sure that I've mentioned this before. And one of the things that really stood out for me is that she never felt like God spoke directly to her, which kind of blows my mind because she had a singular purpose, which was to care for the poor. But she said that that was okay. She didn't really need God to come and speak to her directly because he had already told her everything she needed to know in the Bible. Now, there's a lot in the Bible, and so maybe you're thinking, oh my gosh, well, what part am I actually talking about? Well, we can start with where uh, Scott has been the last few weeks, talking about Micah 6.8, which instructs us to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Jesus tells us in Matthew 22.37, to love the Lord our God with all our heart and our minds and our souls, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is something that all of us can do. From the time that our eyes open in the morning to the times that our eyes close at night, we can do these things. We can do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God and love our neighbor. What does that look like for you? I don't know. It looks different for everybody. So... um, What has God put into your heart? Is there something, a passion that drives you? Is there something in this world that really gets you going? Maybe you're moved by injustice. So maybe um, you hear of human trafficking and that moves you. Maybe you're moved by those that are struggling with addictions or homelessness. Maybe you are moved Um, by the environmental crisis or by the injustice um, done to animals. I don't know. I don't know what God put inside of you. But something's there. And if there's nothing else that you can pinpoint, just follow that. Follow your passion and do justice and love kindness. Um, Walk humbly with God. And I don't want this to feel like it's a heavy on anyone because I know at different stages of our lives we have different abilities to do work outside in the world. I remember when my girls were young and my mom was sick and I was feeling incredibly uh, stretched just taking care of the people in my life. And I sat with my sister-in-law and I remember, I don't even know what the situation was, but I remember kind of bemoaning the fact that I couldn't do more. Um, I don't know if there was a mission trip that was happening or something that I wanted to do. And and she kind of looked at me and she said, well, maybe God is just asking you to do what's before you. And honestly, that blew my mind. I thought, wow, you are right. Maybe he's just asking me right now to raise my children and care for my parents. That is the work of God. I I can still do justice and love kindness, walk humbly with my God in that um, role. So wherever you are in your life, it doesn't have to be anything extraordinary. We can walk out these things that God asks of us every day in whatever situation we're in. 
The second thing I noticed is that there were people surrounding Mary and Joseph throughout the story, people that would encourage them, people that would speak into their life. When Mary got the visitation from the angel, um, it says shortly after she packed up and she went to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. And just as she's walking towards Elizabeth, Elizabeth exclaims, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb.'" That's in Luke 1, 42. And then she goes on to call her the mother of the Lord. That must have been a great confirmation for Mary. Because can you imagine Mary's on her way? She's had this visitation. I don't know. Maybe she told her parents already. Maybe she didn't. But she's going and probably thinking to herself, am I crazy? Did I really see that? Did that really happen? Is this really going to happen to me? Am I really pregnant? Like things just must have been going through her mind. And then there's Elizabeth confirming for her. Mary and Joseph's families must have also been on board because the wedding went forward and we don't hear of anything like them being, um, you know, kicked out of their families or anything like that. So we're going to assume that their families were also on board. Um, Mary and Joseph had each other. I can imagine that through their lifetime, there might have been times that they were questioning, is this true? Is this effort? Is this... uh, this pain that we're feeling, is this all worth it? Are we doing the right thing? And I imagine that when one was weak, the other could encourage them and kind of remind them and say, yes, remember what the angels told us. Remember God, he is faithful. And so they would have had each other's backs. When Mary and Joseph went to dedicate Jesus at the temple when he was eight days old, there was Simeon, a man who had been told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And when he saw them, Simeon confirmed to Mary that the child was destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel. That's in Luke 2.34. There was also Anna, the prophet, at the temple. And we aren't told exactly what she says, but we're told that she began to praise God and to speak about the child to all that were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So as we walk out our purpose that God set for us, it's important to surround ourselves with people that will encourage us that will lift us up, that will pray for us. And then the other side of the coin is that we should be the people that encourage, that lift up, that pray for other people. I know that when I went to school a few years ago, there was one person um, here at the church who kind of tracked with me my whole time, always asking how I was doing, how was school going, where was I at? And that was Glenn Nias. And Glenn, if you're watching, I never told you this, but how much I appreciated that, just knowing that there was one person who was praying for me, who was um, on my side, who was tracking with me. So that was great. I think of the people that I know that are called to a weighty call. So I think of the Rays and the Snells who left their country, their family, their community, financial security, all of that to go to Brazil because God called them to a purpose there. And I know for them that it's incredibly encouraging when they get a call, a note, um, someone letting them know that they're praying for them. It really encourages their heart and helps them keep on their purpose. So as we go forward into the season of Advent and Christmas... Let's move forward with awareness. So the Baskervilles talked about seeing 
Christ? Where can we see him through this season? Where can we see the opportunities to say yes to God and the purpose that he's called us to, as simple as it may be? Where can we be the kind of people that support one another, that do justice, that love kindness, that walk humbly with God, and that love our neighbors? It's especially important in this time as we feel like our worlds are getting smaller, we're back into this red zone. It's important to reach out to people and to just let them know that we still care, we're thinking about them, we're praying for them. Um, Just being there and trying to keep our community alive so that we can keep one another encouraged. So I don't think that this was an incredibly profound word this morning, but I hope that it was just a reminder, a reminder to say yes to what God has put before us, the passions that he's put in us, say yes to the overarching principles that God has given us in the Bible, in his word. So let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you're always with us and that in your word, you have given us directives on how to live our lives. I just pray that as we go forward into this season of Advent and into Christmas, that our hearts would say yes to the purpose that you've put before us, that our hearts would say yes to what you've called us to, and that we would look for opportunities to do your will, to encourage one another, to love one another, to become creative in our encouragement since we can't see and hug each other. But God, that we would keep our eyes open and that we would see you and that our hearts would be open to your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.